0: Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is
1: why we exist. To focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit.
0: Because every movie makes us feel something. Hey listeners, and welcome to this week's episode of Feelin' Film. I'm Patch, and with me, ready to match harmony, conversationally speaking is my best friend and co-host, Aaron. Hello. (laughs) Make sure you put that in the show notes so people can skip it. (laughs) You're almost as good as Fat Amy. Hey,
1: I try. But that's... Not quite. Troublemaker in training right here.
0: <laughs> that could be true. Well, tonight we are covering a favorite of ours, the Anna Kendrick-led sing-along movie musical Pitch Perfect. So if you will uh, excuse us as we fawn a bit, we'll get started. Spoilers abound from here on out, so you have been warned. And as we like to do always on the show, we begin with one-word takeaways. I will kick us off, and my word was confidence aaron this was a movie full of confidence and i will say meta speaking you're talking about a movie that centers around acapella groups i don't know what was going on in 2012 i believe the acapella movement was getting big i remember my wife and i over the christmas holidays were watching acapella competitions and there were several that came out that became very popular and the only acapella groups that i remember being really popular had Christmas albums because that's apparently the only place that you can enjoy acapella. Pentatonix, Until, baby. Pentatonix, precisely. They were the they were the band group, whatever we call them, that came out of one of those competitions, and the world just fell in love with them.
1: And Glee started in two thousand and nine as well.
0: That's true. So so we were starting to hit kind of the centerpiece of the acapella movement, if you will, and so there was a lot of confidence with Pitch Perfect not only in the movie's production and everything that went with it, but also in the characters and the story. I don't think there was anybody else or anybody in the movie, any facet of the movie itself that felt like they didn't have any confidence. Maybe there was some small like non-assurance here and there. I mean, help the narrative along. But it was really great to see all of these characters, even from their different narrative standpoints, being confident in what they did, you know, you had Becca who was aspiring to be a DJ and she was confident in her music. You had Jesse who is a goof, but a wonderful goof and he is completely comfortable in his own skin. Those guys, along with the rest of the crew that made up the troublemakers and the bellas, it just brought together the sense of people know what they're doing and they're having a blast doing it not only as actors, but also as characters. So the only word that I could think of that summed up this experience was confidence.
1: I like it. It's a good one and a good reason uh, to find something to connect with in this film. There's a million words that I could walk out of this movie thinking of, and I'm sure that most people already who know me are expecting my one word takeaway to be Anna. And well, I guess in the real world, that. that probably is my one word takeaway is Anna, because this is where I fell in love with Anna. It's where the world really truly fell in love with Anna Kendrick. And it is the defining role of her career. Still some like Don Shanahan, our friend uh, or coworker here, uh, every movie has a lesson. He thinks that it's a bit too much that she's become typecast and she probably has, but it all came from this role. Right. And I'm okay with that. frankly, but my one more takeaway that I'm going to use for the show is aka awesome. Appropriate. You knew it was coming. <laughs> yes, it did. Puns for days. <laughs> I love that this movie is so meta that it even is meta about its puns. There's a line in the movie where Donald specifically calls out the troublemaker puns and how much fun they are to make. I was like, "Yes, you are my kind of people." Okay, well this film gives us aka puns and I love them. I'm forever grateful for being able to say Ak, excuse me for the rest of my life. I don't think I'm, I don't even think I say excuse me anymore. I think I just say Ak, excuse me. But honestly, the whole movie is awesome. Um, it's pretty much a perfectly paced rom com musical. And it ends on such an incredibly high note that I walked away bursting with joy and ready to sing my own notes off. Anna's talent I think, is what makes this thing go, but she's not the only piece of the puzzle that fits perfectly. And in fact, most of her work would be lost without the performance of Skylar Aston, who just stood out to me this time around in a way that he never has before. Uh, He's in that pursuing beau role of the romance that takes place, and I just, I fell in love with him. And I'll talk more about him in depth, of course, when we get there, but He blew me away, and I realized that as much as I've been focused on Anna in this film when I've watched it in the past, like without him, she can't be successful being the character she is. So I love this movie, Patrick. You knew it. My kids definitely know it, considering that I did once ask them if they'd be cool with Anna Kendrick being their stepmom and how they'd feel about her picking him up from school. They pretty much laughed me into my bedroom that night. But now the world knows it, too. And this one is an AKA all-time favorite for me.
0: Well, if the disproportionate number of Voxes about this movie compared to other things that we talk about, like sports or life, or any indication of your love for this movie... <laughs> <laughs> sorry, no not sorry. I watched <laughs> sorry, it again sorry.
1: right before we podcasted, just Perfect, because. perfect.
0: Well, I wanted to talk about that a little bit, because... We went back and forth. This, Listeners, this isn't in the notes. I'm really just going to ask you a candid question or make an observation. Oh, my there's, gosh. How dare we? There's, there's something pretty amazing about the fact that there are movies out there. When you have a podcast, you have we have a schedule, and there are movies out there that we're going to watch, movies that we prep for, whether they're at home or in theaters. And as much as we love movies, I think we fully admit there that sometimes it can be It can be a little overwhelming, maybe not for you, but for me, I I can speak for myself. But there's something pretty amazing when you have a movie that comes along like Sing Street for me that you just want to pop in at any random time because you just enjoy it, not for necessary critical analysis, not because you want to find deeper themes, although those things can come out. But the fact that it's a movie that you just walk away feeling good after watching it. And for some people, it might be a deep drama that leaves you kind of weighted and heavy. It could be therapeutic for a lot of folks to to walk through something like Manchester by the Sea. Maybe not. I don't know as an example. But then, but then on the other end of the spectrum, you have movies like Pitch Perfect or Sing Street or Armageddon or Top Gun that you'll just say, you know <laughs> what, it's a Top Gun day. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to pop this in. In fact, my dad, I think I mentioned this on our episode that. My dad went to go see it so many times, most of those times were as a result of just having a really stressful day at work. And I think movies have that kind of power. And as reviewers and film critics, I tend to forget that sometimes. I tend to forget that movies are meant to be entertaining and that I need to step back and enjoy the entertainment value first and foremost without necessarily doing my feel and film homework, although that is a part of it. And it's really great to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to watch this again, because I can. And because it's amazing.
1: Yeah, and and it means a lot for the I mean, we watch a bunch of movies, I watch even more than you do. I've scaled back this year, but just for reviewing purposes, there has to be at least an equal number of movies that I watch for quote unquote, work of some sort, whether it's podcasting or reviewing as I do for just pure inner enjoyment. And so, yeah, man, when it's When it's one that takes hold and you're like, I'm actually going to watch this back-to-back or twice in a week or whatever, it is special. And it is the definition of what we talk about as a rewatchable movie, right? That it's something that, you know, if it's on back in the day when you were flipping through the cable channels on HBO, if it was on, you stop what you're doing and you watch it. That's a pitch perfect to me. And... It's weird because we always have these threads in our Facebook group sometimes where people will say, well, what what, what are the most rewatchable movies? And the only one that I ever come up with is Top Gun and uh, The Princess Bride for me. But it's hard for me to think of them. But when I experience one, like I know in the moment, like you said, like when I watched it this time around, and I've seen it, you know, five, six, seven, eight times previously, there's something that just when I was watching it kind of from my Film hat critical perspective in a, in a in a sense I was just like wow like why am I so in love with this and I just fell for it all over again.
0: Well, I fell in love with Ben Cl- Ben Platt all over again. I had temporarily forgotten that he was in this, and this being the year that I got to see Dear Evan Hansen, not with him in it, but you know what I'm saying, experiencing him vicariously through our traveling troupe in Seattle. I have to say, and I think you would agree, that the treblemakers, and Bumper in particular, is a dumbass for not inviting Ben Platt to their little college a cappella group.
1: Yep, that's my word for it, too. There's no excuse for this. For those who don't know, Benji uh, is played by Ben Platt, and he is the lead performer in Dear Evan Hansen, like Patrick was talking about. But prior to Pitch Perfect, this is what's crazy to me. He had already made a name for himself. He starred in The Music Man when he was like nine years old, I believe, along with Kristen Chenoweth. And then he kind of broke out big time with a role in The Book of Mormon. And this is before his casting in Pitch Perfect. There's actually a great nod to his career during his Troublemakers audition, though. When he finishes his audition, he says, performing lives gives me such a rush. And I was like, dude, that's that's incredibly meta, like which this movie is intentionally in many ways. So I have to believe that that was intentional. And I just can't get over the fact that the only one of these people, these actors that sings for a living is the one who doesn't make the flipping acapella team. There's something to be said about
0: that. There's a little bit of irony there. And I think that it speaks to maybe even hindsight. The fact that. There's some star power in here, obviously, with Anna Kendrick. But you mentioned a few minutes ago that Skylar Astin's kind of a a surprise in terms of his performance here. I would expect, looking back on this, that Ben Platt would have been the the headliner. But if you look at his character and you look at the character he plays in Evan Hansen, it's kind of an awkward, dorky type thing. I think he plays that character really well. But when you combine that with an amazing voice – his redemptive arc in this is really fantastic. I also love the fact that he does close-up magic. I think that's just perfect. Uh, the way he's introduced is just really lovable to an audience. How it long just, has
1: that guy been in there?
0: Yes. Yeah, <laughs> for real. And his facial expressions, like even his nonverbal stuff, is accentuates who he is as a character. So when he gets that moment on stage near the end, it is incredibly redeeming it adds to that scene in a lot of ways but i want to back up and talk about the two lead characters becca and jesse you mentioned that it's fantastic chemistry and i would have to agree there is a central romance at the heart of pitch perfect which is very normal for any kind of teenage young adult romantic comedy even in a musical form What do you think this looks like compared to other high school and college romances that you've seen? Does it stand out? Does it feel the same? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Oh, man. I, you know, I not, this is not a knock on you and a question, but I don't particularly like to try and compare things because my memory sucks.
0: And so it's
1: hard for me to remember like other romances outside of maybe La La Land because I've seen it so many times or The Princess Bride. And it's definitely nothing like those. The things that stand out to me about this movie, though, and about this central romance, well, A, is that it exists and that it is really as much of a through line of this film as the competition that they're trying to eventually get back to and win. It really is. Like, it's not just a side plot. It is a constantly evolving developing relationship between these two characters. And I love that. And for some reason, again, I would say, I don't know that I've noticed that in the way that I did this last couple watches. And part of it is my adoration for Skylar Aston, what you were just talking about with Ben Platt's acting and his facial expressions. And I I was blown away by this guy. I just thought that Jesse and the way that he portrays this character is one of the most amazing rom-com boyfriends that i've ever seen on screen i actually read a buzzfeed article and, and i'm not like promote like okay it's buzzfeed but still but it was like you know 15 reasons why jesse from pitch perfect is the perfect boyfriend and like i can't argue with any of them they're absolutely correct he sets apart the relationship in pitch perfect in a couple ways one the two characters don't have sex (laughs) there but there's several things one they don't have sex which is normally what the movies use to tell you as an audience that these two characters are now in love that is the way that the movies portray that typically annoys me this movie doesn't do that it is barely about him getting the girl I mean that it literally is like what a minute from the end of the movie that he actually is successfully kind of gets the girl. Um he is as good of a friend and a person and a human being as he is a person that is seeking out Becca as a girlfriend. It's not a movie that is just about a boy trying to get a girl. He's living his life and he is an amazing person to everyone around him, and he is growing and experiencing college like we all kind of think we want to and part of it is this awesome girl he's interested in but he never puts her on a pedestal to the point that getting the girlfriend and I'm putting it in air quotes is what defines his life and his purpose or his feeling of value there's an amazing scene towards the end where she comes crawling back to him to apologize because she's kind of pushed him away several times and it's all because he continues trying to help her when he calls her dad when she gets arrested and he pipes up when Aubrey says that she and Jesse are in a relationship and he he says no no we're not it's okay and and, and Becca says you're always there trying to save me listen I relate to this that's part of why I love him so much Patrick because I'm that guy I'm the fixer (laughs) that I always want to fix something for the people I care about I don't want to just have them vent i I want to be the solve the problem and make their life better and that's what jesse tries to do and when she realizes that she comes to him and he doesn't take her back like he says in complete and utter calm he says you push away anyone who could possibly care about you and i love that because he's confident again your word your one more takeaway he is confident in what a relationship means to him, what he's going to give and what he needs to get and how it's going to have to be for it to be mutual and work. And he's not going to settle for less than that, but he doesn't treat her as lesser than, and he allows it to develop to a point where they can come together on mutual terms. Like it, it is, he's awesome. And he's awesome. He's hilarious. He's fun. His flirting is amazing. And I just think that th- watching them develop throughout this without it being the center point, but yet kind of a tangential thing that's always happening is it's truly awesome storytelling to weave it in like that.
0: Right. And he is, he is a, a crux, not the crux. Maybe you can, I don't know if you can be a crux. Not so a whore crux though. Not a whore crux. There, there are like seven of those, right? <laughs> he is a character who challenges her and we've talked about this in the past where when we have a character who is a potential romantic interest challenging another character that's attractive to me i like the fact that we have those types of characters that exist in here but weaved in between these fantastic humor beats like there's a great scene when they both work in the radio station and he keeps pulling up album covers of faces and trying to get her to laugh but there's no risk in that i mean if he bombs he bombs but he knows that he's kind of wearing her down here and there but that's not as valuable beyond just a humorous beat here and there without the fact that we see moments where he doesn't come to her rescue He assists. And I think there's a big difference, okay? There is that one moment where he gets her bailed out of jail by calling her dad. But he's there. He is he's supporting her. And Becca, as a character, is strong. But she has to learn some lessons. And that's a big part of Anna Kendrick's character that she goes through is understanding that she's not necessarily right all the time. And where she might succeed in some areas, that same succession can be detrimental, particularly in her relationship with Jesse, where she feels like she's right. When he has that conversation with her in, at his door in his dorm room, he's very candid. Yeah, he's confident, but he's candid with her. And I think that that is the mark of a real relationship. I heard somewhere once that real relationships are those that deal with all the crap. They're not just about the sex. They're not just about the emotionless part of what you would have with someone, but it's all this, all the baggage that goes with it that makes the relationship what it is. And there's some truth to that. We didn't get very heavy into this kind of relationship, but we touched on it. And there were enough moments that showed me that Jesse cared about who Becca was, not about what he could get from her. Yeah, exactly. And that's different from a lot of, of other relationships. I mean, I love the relationship between Patrick and Kat Stratford in 10 Things I Hate About You. But that's purely about the romantic relationship. It's the center point, and it's meant to be. There's still some of those elements we get in Pitch Perfect in that movie. They just are emulated in different ways. What I like about Pitch Perfect is that it's unconventional from the very beginning. The moment we see Jesse, the first time we see him, he is singing at the top of his lungs a classic rock song from his from his car window. Yeah, from the back and of it,
1: his parents. His parents are in the front seat, by the way. I noticed that. Right. So I'm like, what are they? Those poor parents.
0: And I think he's one of the <laughs> only characters that we focus on that doesn't have baggage, or doesn't appear to have baggage. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really good because we need that we don't need everybody to be fixed and i think it can come across like oh he's the fixer no he's not i think he's just dealt with whatever issues he might be having or he understands that this is who he is and he's fine with it and he's going to be the guy that loves movies and he's going to be unapologetic about that which i know that (laughs) that's another reason you probably relate to him is that Mm -hmm. you know what if you don't like movies what's wrong with you that kind of thing but he never demeans her it's always in a place of love. And even when he tries to educate her on things like the ending of the breakfast club and how the endings of movies are the best and how he segues that into a place to say something very intimate. I want to score movies. That's what I want to do. I want to make people Mm -hmm. cry. I love it. And it can come across as arrogant, but I think it came across from my money as something very vulnerable because I guess that's cool. Um, But, I mean, he barely knows her. So to be able to say, this is what I want to do. I'm trying to find something that connects with you. I think when she shares her music with him, I think he genuinely enjoys it. I don't think he's playing lip service to her. Like, everything really feels authentic between how he cares about her and how he wants to be a part of her life. So the acts that he does to help her out and to assist in different ways – I never believed for a moment that there was an ulterior motive. No,
1: that's exactly. You're exactly right. And it's so funny because this movie has some of that type of humor that at first glance you would think I would not be a fan of. The Elizabeth Banks, John Michael Higgins humor that's kind of sexual and potty humor and stuff. But I love it in this movie. Like it it for some reason, I'm fine with it. And you would think that that kind of humor goes along with more of the storyline of, like, I just need to get you in bed, and that's my win. And so for it to be so not like that is a, a shock. Uh, but, yeah, I do definitely love – I think I love that he's smooth, and I love that he is a movie guy. I actually wrote Jesse, my man. I got to ask you, though. So he does make a pretty strong proclamation in this film, Patrick. He says, Jaws, E.T., The Breakfast Club, Star Wars, and Rocky are the best scored and soundtracked movies of all time. Agree or disagree?
0: Disagree on small sample size. Okay. Do you agree
1: that those are all Pantheon level choices? Top of the best of the best.
0: Uh, I don't like that he lumps in scored and soundtracked together. Because three of the five of those are pretty solid scores. Rocky, Jaws, really, really solid scores. Mm -hmm. Breakfast Club is a fantastic soundtrack. ET, iconic, don't love it. Mm -hmm. That's my subjectivity. And then the fifth one was Star Wars, also. Star Wars, yeah. Also scored. Yeah. So, so for sure, I, I think he's, I think he's, if the writers are doing anything, they're catering to a popular opinion. And I think The Breakfast Club kind of stands out because it's like, of those five, it's the only one that is soundtracked, not scored. It is. And I think that's by design because... Also of, the
1: only one that matters to the narrative of the movie.
0: <laughs> that, so that, it's, that's exactly right. So they're, they're taking these four iconic scores and then lumping a soundtrack in the middle of it for use later in the movie, like two or three times. I could fault them for that, but I'm not going to because it's a great soundtrack and he makes a fantastic case for it because it is a great ending to a movie. I mean, come on. You want to be Judd Nelson in your big, long trench coat with your, with your gloves, just putting your fist up in the air. Cause you got Molly Ringwald's earring in your ear. It's fantastic. I wanted to be that guy. Oh yeah. But unfortunately I was not. I was Anthony <laughs> Michael Hall. Um, <laughs> true statement there <laughs> i i wanted to ask you this before we move on because of your love for for becca would you say that by the end of this movie you wish that you had jesse's girl
1: wow that's really good <laughs> <laughs> i've got to listen to that song after this that's <laughs> That's next, that's next level. Like I, that is, I was just coming out of nowhere, man.
0: I, I took it up there. That I took, was I took it up.
1: awesome. <laughs> yes, I would say that. <laughs> and I can say that because I am admiring and desiring a single woman. Most actresses that we always are like, actresses or actors, whoever people have celeb crushes on, you know, usually they're married. And everyone's like, oh, you know, I think this actor or actress is so hot. Not Anna Kendrick, my friend. There is a legitimate chance it might be small. Like my kids, my kids say there's no chance, but there, there is a, t- technically speaking, there is a chance.
0: There's a dumb and dumber chance. So you're saying there's a chance, that kind of thing. I got you now. Yeah. Makes sense. I
1: mean, I did message her on Instagram. Didn't work, but you know,
0: <laughs>
1: multiple attempts.
0: We might call that stalking, but what we need to do a- is
1: get her on the podcast. That's my in. Oh my gosh. And then you wouldn't, you wouldn't even be able to talk. We go from there. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I have a plan.
0: I feel like we're doing bonus content because we're so off script right now. (laughs) That's okay. It's okay. People probably like that. Yeah, they probably do. Well, moving back to (laughs) one of the things that came up in this movie is is that it deals with the idea of finding your identity, not just individually, but also as a member of a group with these shared interests and goals. I found a lot of interest in this because – Looking back at 2012, yes, we're in the thick of the acapella – I won't call it a renaissance, but maybe a – what would you call it? Uh, just a love fest? It was
1: an aca-splosion. Aca explosion.
0: Occas- there you go. Occas- <laughs> I,
1: don't, <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't know because I wasn't paying a lot of attention to it outside of well, Glee.
0: Yeah, but, it, but,
1: but Glee was such a popular show. It made it – popular is what it popular is the word like it made acapella popular and acapella was something your parents listened to on old cassette tapes and you were like dude please turn that off don't be around dad mom when that's on what in the
0: world are you listening to It made it cool yeah it modernized it and when you have groups that exist like the troublemakers and the bellas how they kind of contradict each other i think speaks to that then present versus past conflict that the movie was sort of trying to commentate on that we have this group the bellas who don't want to change we have this group the treblemakers, great pun by the way who are always trying to reinvent themselves but being a part of that group and trying to get yourself in i mean benji himself that was his lifelong dream he even confesses I remember seeing you guys three years ago, and I've just been in love, and he comes across as just this weird stalker guy with his magic, and even though it's acapella, something that as popular as it has been, it wasn't popular in my day in college. (laughs) It wasn't something that we tried to be a part of, but the concept and the idea of being able to connect with a group, that's universal. And the the stuff that I love about high school movies differs in that with college movies, it's all about finding yourself and sometimes finding yourself within a group. Typically, it's fraternities and sororities or other kinds of, for my college experience, we called them social clubs. But it was all about being a part of something. And that exists in high school, but I think in college, it feels more genuine. I think it feels a lot more real to a college student because of the fact that you're now independent. You're not going home to your parents. You're not having a curfew. You're now living on campus and you're actually making the choices of what social groups you want to be a part of. And I like the fact that there was that familiarity there, even on a campus like this, that seem to be full of these acapella groups which is not common at least not where i'm from now listeners if you've experienced something similar or different let, let us know well no and i think you know part of that is
1: this movie allows itself to be special be different is by being different we don't relate to a college that has four or five acapella groups that are the hit, like they're the stars. But they even say in the beginning of the movie, they say, you know, for those people who can't be sports stars or, you know, very, very smart. I forget what all they, they list off, but like the people that don't go to the quote unquote traditional clubs, fraternities, sororities and sports and things, this is the next level. And so those things probably still exist at Barden in theory. Like there are those, groups, we just aren't experiencing those. And I think that's part of what makes it so interesting is that it gives us an in and into a world that may or may not actually exist like this, Patrick, but like we get to not (laughs) remakes and reimaginings. We, we don't have to compare it to something. Okay. And that is a beautiful thing because in our heads, we don't have to be like, well, that's not like my high school football experience because I never was in acapella group. And the majority of people watching the movie, vast majority, weren't. So they can relate to it because of what the similarities are without directly comparing it to their own experience. It's easier to do.
0: Absolutely. But I think the common ground here is that any individual that connects with a group of any kind, particularly those that are non-traditional, sees the world through that lens. And that's what Pitch Perfect does, particularly through the lens of the troublemakers and the Bellas, because we have our central characters sort of telling us the story. We're following Becca for the most part. Occasionally we follow Jesse, but I remember being a part of my particular group. And of course it was on a small campus, you know, 2000 people at most. But when you're on a big campus, you relate to that world of college through that group that you're a part of. And I really think that pitch perfect articulates that well because we see it through the lens of acapella groups, knowing from that very beginning that they weren't the only groups on campus that they weren't I mean even during the what the the not job fair but the the culture fair where you see all these things. I remember there was a great moment when when uh, when Becca goes up and she sees DJ. <laughs> And she thinks, oh, this is it. This is it. And it's really like deaf Jews. But then she meets Fat Amy and eventually connects with the Barton Bellas in a different kind of way. But what we see, I think, is that common multiple groups. But once you're connected to that group, the world is sort of defined by your group in relation to the rest of the the school atmosphere.
1: Yeah, and, and it appeals to us all because even – In college, but not just in college, I mean, in all aspects of our life, I think we are created as creatures who crave companionship of some sort with other people. And whether it's playing sports or multiplayer video games online or any hobby that you may have that involves others, you want to belong to something. You want to be able to know there are others that are, that are like you and that have the same interests and the same passions and you want to share that. And it explores that. And it's fun to do it through the cappella, but like that's what the, the it could be anything. And what also could be anything is the struggles of different types of people and why they join those groups. Because we have somebody like Bumper who shows us a character who ends up ditching the Troublemakers to sing backup for John Mayer right before the final performance. But that's because his identity rests in his personal success. And it has nothing to do about the Brotherhood. He is using this group. He wants to be part of something, but only in order to elevate himself to the next position. And then you have those guys that hilariously are our typical can't get past your high school college experience guys that are in every movie with Donald Faison who seems to be in a cameo in every awesome rom-com movie that I love like this. He's, he also has a great cameo in Josie and the Pussycats. So, um, yeah, but like those guys, right, they are out there singing acapella at the finals and they can't handle no longer not having a spotlight, not having somewhere to perform is what they talk about. So they're struggling to keep their group together and, and have, find an identity. And these are things that we all go through in this, these cycles in our lives. It's just not probably
0: a cappella for most of us. So I think when it comes to the college connection, there's a soft commitment. And what I mean by that is that you have that commitment to that group and you get that brotherhood or that sisterhood with that group, whatever you're, whatever you're being kind of connected by. But it doesn't necessarily, for some, define the rest of their lives. For Bumper, it was a means to an end. He was always going to be a singer, but he wasn't always going to be a part of an acapella group. You know, They were, they were his ticket to get his performance up to, up to par. In fact, I think before he leaves, he says, I've done this crap three years already. I don't need to do it anymore. And it shocked them. It shocked the rest of the group because they were like, how come you're not part of this? I would like to believe optimistically that ignoring the rest of the pitch perfect movies, <laughs> the guys that move on from this do not turn into that acapella group that they meet outside of the divisional championship or whatever and get into a big fight with that they don't hold on to that. That they say, look, I'm a singer but I have the ability to move on and have a career doing something else. I mean, Becca is one of these great examples. She knew that she wanted to be a DJ, but she found a way to do what she loved in the realm of being in the Bellas. She didn't compromise who she was. She adapted to that. And I think that college, the college life gives people the ability to adapt what they're good at and what they love to something that might make sense within that college time frame, What did that mean for her as a character later? Maybe she went on and became a singer. Maybe she ditched the whole DJ thing. Again, I'm not, I'm ignoring pitch perfect two and three and thinking about this as a standalone. But I think that that's the way it is for college students where you go to college to get an education, but you also go to get that college experience. And oftentimes you're going to have friendships that last outside of college folks on Facebook. If I had to count who i knew from high school versus who i knew from college there'd be a disproportionate number from from the from those two because aside from you and ben and garen you know the tap brotherhood because it's a brotherhood you know most of the people that i stay in touch with from not my current life are from college because those experiences that i shared weren't seemingly superficial they felt very organic they felt very authentic and meaningful and i think Attaching yourself to a group attaches yourself to a, a family of sorts, and that plays itself out really well in the, in the Greek atmosphere because that's what you are. You are a family. You live together. But I love the fact that a movie like Pitch Perfect still captures that in a way that feels like it shouldn't because you know who wants to stay with an acapella group forever? I imagine there are a lot of people because you bond over something like that.
1: I feel like you're telling me that acapella is not the way to get into a life becoming a international spy. Is that is that what you're trying to – are you saying that's you not realistic? You might segue realistic? here there. Okay. You
0: could be the next singing spy. Ooh, is that a thing? I mean, if we're moving the next 007 to a female role, which I think is pretty fantastic, I mean, why not next – you know, why can't she sing? I'm here for it. Go musical, Musical jam. Music. <laughs> I did not have a career in syncing. Oh, that was awesome.
1: <laughs> that was awesome. You know, what else is awesome about Greek and not Greek and but fraternities and sororities, which are both Greek in nature, is that they are traditional. Yes. And that it's their traditions as well as the living together as a family that create that definition for the group.
0: Absolutely. And that tradition can be a blessing and a curse for sure. And Pitch Perfect lays this on pretty thick with the, uh, with the conflict that we have between Becca and Aubrey. This is actually outside of Becca and Jesse. This is the relationship that I focused in on this viewing. This conflict between Becca and Aubrey where Aubrey's holding on to who the Bellas have been and who they are now. Becca comes in and sort of usurps that by making all these suggestions, albeit not aggressively. Let's, let's make it that very clear. She just kind of inserts something here and there. And when it feels like it's necessary, she gets a little aggressive. But she brings up this idea that these songs are tired. They're old. There's nothing from this century on the set list. Why are we doing this? And it seems like Aubrey's only excuse is that's the way it's always been done. And I think there's an argument to be made where there's a place for tradition, but there's also a place for the remix, not only in this movie, but hinting at in life. And I wanted to ask the question, when it comes to Aubrey, why do you think it's so difficult for her to break from tradition?
1: Well, I picked up a lot this time around. And I say, I say a lot. There's a couple of great sentences that give away some of Aubrey's past that help to lend us an understanding into why she is the way she is this is really good storytelling and these are the things that I noticed probably because we've been podcasting for so long now that I never would have picked up on the first time I watched this movie I would have focused on the music and the Kendrick and the fun and the laughter and all this stuff but now I notice these little lines of dialogue and this is what makes movies really great is when they tell stories like this there's a moment at the beginning of this film that could go completely unnoticed, really, where Chloe and Aubrey are being berated by the leader of the Barden Bellas after right before they go on to perform. It's before the puke moment, and that's why because that happens and we just forget everything that happened before that. And she's talking about how she's worried to leave the group to them. She doesn't think that they're going to be able to carry on the tradition of the Barden Bellas, and I think. When you understand this is where Aubrey is coming from and that she's coming into this season now in charge with this weight and this pressure of a legacy to uphold, that it helps to understand her so much better. It's not just a person who has a an individual desire for control or power or like she doesn't want to do it this way necessarily because it's her favorite way either. She just knows that it's been successful in the past and she feels pressure from history from these people that are now gone and have no bearing in her life whatsoever to perform. She also has a father who is he has some great little quotes that she drops from him. She says like my dad always said if you're not here if you're not here to if you're not here to win get the hell out of Kuwait. And it speaks to her desire not to just participate, but to be victorious. And I think that when you, it, it does make for great drama to compare her to Becca, who, you know, on the flip side, clearly doesn't have the same relationship with her dad that Aubrey probably had with her dad. And Becca's entire creative endeavor and what she wants to do for a career revolves around create making something new from something old literally that's what she's doing and Aubrey ultimately one with the one of the beautiful pieces of this movie is that she when she comes to see that like if you watch her during that finals performance Patrick I don't know if you pay any attention just to the way she's performing but like I get a tremendous sense of enjoyment from her. Like she is having a blast in that finals performance and I can't help but feel like it, that's the, that's my point. Like it's not about not wanting to do those things or not enjoying those things. It's just about being too scared to change tradition because it might not result. It, the, the result now becomes unknown. The reaction becomes unknown and that's more scary than just doing the same thing over and over if you think it's going to provide you with the quote-unquote win, which is what she's grown up believing everything is about winning.
0: Psychologically speaking, I'd I love to kind of break down her character this time around, and I think that there's a little bit of everything you've said with regards to wanting to win the competition, to redeem herself from the year before, to prove something to someone, maybe her dad or to the people that are no longer there, or to herself – and also let the victory be hers. There's something very interesting about wanting to own that, wanting to have control, and be able to say that was mine. I choreographed that. That is my creation. It's a very selfish and a very human thing that we all do. We want to feel like we are the owners of the thing that we create. You know, I, I think that when you look at someone like 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 her. She comes across, ultimately, as the movie goes on, as someone who is sympathetic. And you're exactly right. She, in that final moment, she realizes that no matter what happens, this is a lot of fun, I'm going to relax, and I'm going to remember why I do this. I love singing. I love performing. And oftentimes, when you're in a job... We mentioned it earlier. You kind of forget because you do it so often. You forget about the core reason why you're there, which is enjoyment and creativity. And those two things I think are lost on her from the very beginning. And Becca brings that out in her. But what I love is that Becca equally gets that. You talk about the fact that Becca creates something new out of something old. What you didn't say was that Becca create something new out of nothing like she starts all of her stuff is sampled like i love the uh the uh i can't remember it's the 90s song that the uh i'm gonna be 500 miles that remix is fantastic we're assuming that she created that it's one of the songs in the soundtrack but it comes from something you have to have familiarity in order to remix it you have to have something that people are familiar with and something that people connect to In order to connect them to something else and that finale I think really bridges all that and I think that's why Aubrey smiles in those moments is because she realized I haven't lost tradition I haven't lost who we were we're just something else we have progressed we have evolved into something else but we are still the Barton Bellas
1: yes and it's it's actually the same in a way because so Becca tells Audrey one of the times she gets shot down (laughs) she says we should be taking risks. We have to put ourselves out there. And that's when she says we could change the face of acapella. But if you focus on that line, we have to put ourselves out there. The ourselves in that sentence from the past and what worked for the Bard and Bellas as just the same kind of girl that was in the group, because that's what they were looking for, those carbon co- you know, copies of themselves. That's what it has always been that worked for themselves like that was themselves being them being themselves now i'm saving this word over and over but what ourselves is for the modern modern blah blah, blah blah for the modern bard and bellas includes people like Fat Amy and you know the and all of the different characters right so in that final performance they do that they put themselves out there and they are now performing in a way that is honest to who they are which therefore changes the
0: way that performance is going to be exactly and that i think is key is at no point did they try to be the troublemakers at no point did they try to be the sock puppet group at that no point did they That is amazing
1: to be... social commentary by the way what? <laughs> Hold on that is some amazing social commentary though i, I don't know if you caught it but there is another like super quick line during that where they say so this is acapella out of soft puppets genius and one of them goes yeah look at the black one with a white sock he's making a statement and if you listen to the song that they're doing it is incredible like i that is the kind of stuff that i just love picking up on in these movies because it it was it was making a statement and i thought it was really really cool very subtle
0: very subtle but you're right they definitely did not try to be the the aka socks puppets they were trying to be themselves and the great thing about this journey as a group is they discovered who they were. They were the sum of their parts because each one of them had their own contribution that they made. And there were hints of it that started coming out as the competitions rolled on. But the finale really brought out the fact that each person brought that individuality. And this is the ironic thing about a cappella, which the Pentatonics are successful at, is they give spotlight to the individuals in a lot of their songs. It's almost like when you have a a band that gives different solos to the different instruments to give each person a moment to say, look, here's our electric guitar player. Here's our bass player that kind of goes off the, off the riff a little bit. Here's our drummer. And they do it without necessarily announcing it, but they're a band and they work together. Otherwise you just have a, guy drumming up there by himself and that doesn't sound good maybe there's a guy playing lead guitar that sounds good for a minute but without the bass without the keys without all these other things it's not it doesn't make the sound that you want to hear you don't go to a brad paisley concert just to hear brad paisley although he's great you go to the concert because brad paisley has an amazing band that accompanies him and makes him sound better the barton bellas and acapella in general are great because they're a group but they're also great because they're individuals within that group and i think that speaks volumes about what it means to be a part of something but not lose who you are within it in fact to insert yourself as a benefit to that and maybe they're saying that maybe they're not but it's a pretty bold statement if they are
1: and i also think that there is a wonderful way this film approaches it because they don't make they make it very clear that there's a right way and a wrong way to go about getting to the point where this change is happening so even though becca doesn't come in trying to change the group which is what we see in a lot of storytelling some the character from the outside who wants to make something automatically be like they want it she tries to integrate she just makes suggestions but then ultimately she does go rogue is the only way to say it and they have to adjust and i like that when she's looking for backup, and she's like, come on. And Fat Amy, you know, wasn't that, what do you think? And Fat Amy says, like, yeah, it was really cool, but you also really put us in a bad position because we had no idea what was happening. And Becca has to deal with the fact that no matter how much you want to go rogue and force the issue, even if it's successful, like, you need to care about the other people that are... Adjusting to that in the moment as well, and then of course that leads into the way I think that she ultimately brings the change to them in the end, and they're much more accepting of it but I don't think or I love the fact that the movie wants us to see that in this battle that always exists between tradition and revolutionary like la La land um you know there is a right way and a wrong way to go about this, and that becca's initial way of dropping a bomb on them was probably not the right way.
0: Yeah, I'm seeing that even in the the job that I'm in, in the industry, we work with the government. And traditionally, the government doesn't want to be forward thinking in the way that we're trying to show them in terms of how they teach their students. We get pushback from instructors all the time that say, stop trying to take our jobs away because we're trying to put Their students inside augmented reality and virtual reality, and the instructors see it as a threat. And what we have to show them, sell them, is the fact that their jobs aren't being taken away. They're just being adapted and changed because the student needs to learn differently. We're in a new generation of not only technology, but the ways in which students learn. We're in a gaming world. We have a gaming generation of kids that are used to having devices in their hands controllers in their hands looking at a screen and making rapid movements here and there we're not just trying to be cool by saying here's the latest tech we're trying to make it purposeful and i see that in what becca does initially where she tries to take the bull by the horns and change it and it almost goes wrong (laughs) in fact i mean they didn't get to the finals but by a technicality so was she right or was she wrong? I think it's a little of both. I think her motive was great because she saw the vision, but you have to bring people along gradually. You have to take them a little bit of a step at a time. You can't just throw them into the deep end of the pool and say, we got to innovate. We got to be different. Even if it's the right answer, answering that question may take a while. And I think Pitch Perfect does this in a, in a great way where we see Becca, excuse me, Aubrey come around eventually, but it takes the convincing of the other misfits, these new people who aren't really connected to that tradition to help sell that idea. So it's not just on Becca. I mean, Becca might be the leader in that, but she needs people. She needs followers and she eventually convinces folks, which I think which leads to Aubrey's transformation in that, and ultimately leads to the the conclusion. So it's pretty fantastic.
1: And Chloe, Chloe's an, an important character. Chloe is the yes. rich. And actually, I adore Brittany Snow in this movie. I mean, again, with the performances, I can just go on and on about pretty much all the performances, frankly, but she stuck out to me big time. I joked about, you know, focusing in on that shower scene with her and, and Anna Kendrick in that it's really funny. But like, if you watch the way that her acting is in that scene just again there's so many she, she's blocked off from the chest down so it's all face acting there's no body mannerisms that you can really see and just the way that her expressions are man she says so much with so little words and i just i thought she was really great in this and she you know conveys the emotion of losing her nodes And being unable to do the thing that she is so passionate about doing. And she helps Aubrey see as well. Like, listen, I was part of that tradition and I want to win as well. But ultimately, it's about the singing and the performing and doing it with people who have that same desire and that same love and that same passion. That's what matters most, even if I got to sing bass, right? And I think when you see someone exhibit that, it's contagious And that helps to also push Aubrey, you know, to seeing this in a new light.
0: As a kind of an end note to that, I also like the fact that in that final scene, Aubrey is still wearing her scarf. I think she's the only one that's doing that, um, if I can remember correctly. But I think that's a great little nod to the fact that she knows where her roots come from, that she's still a Bella. She comes from this place. Even though she's adapting, she still holds on to that. And I think it's a really great kind of visual nod to the fact that tradition is still valuable. Tradition is what got them together. Modernization and remixing, I think, is what pushed them to eventually get to the finals. Speaking of the finals, there are a number of fantastic performances in this movie. I mean, this is a movie musical to the core, and I don't know that I could pick... Like one that stands out. But I thought I might ask the question anyway. Did you find one or two or did anything stand out in the performances? Maybe all of them that you wanted to to bring up?
1: There is not a throwaway performance in this film. Okay, that's what makes a movie a musical. It needs to not have any throwaway performances for me to want to be like, that's a five-star movie. They all have to work. They all work. And the fact that we get into this movie in a collegiate competition right away with bumper and the troublemakers it's so jarring and so freaking cool and unexpected like it hooks you instantly so that first performance is amazing i absolutely love the montage that they do to since you've been gone during the acapella auditions You know, I think back to some of the fun marketing they've done with this film series over the past with the Brady Bunch-like view and people singing. I also thought it was fun that they did Since You Been Gone, which is a Kelly Clarkson song. And then in that scene that you mentioned with uh, Jesse's character at the radio station and he puts that album cover over his head, it's Adam Lambert, both American Idol. And I wonder if that was intentional. But, um, it also, that audition scene gives us the memorable, uh, Becca audition to Cups. That was like my ringtone for a couple of years when this movie came out. Uh, I had never been exposed to that before, and it's just such an, a memorable moment, memorable scene. The beautiful group song creation session after Becca comes back. I mean, this, I had several almost connecting points. That was one. I loved it. The way that they. she's just standing there, and she's like, okay, let's try this. And they all start kind of chiming in, and she's literally doing what she is dreaming of doing in that moment. She is producing them right in front of them. She is doing it on the spot, remixing them. And it's even better because the song that they're singing – and I'm saying all this because the performance is really good. The song singing is really good. It's just the way you are, which is perfect, right, narratively speaking, for what is being – happening in the story at that time. And then Patrick, I know I've basically listed off all of them, but the finals. Now, when you've talked about how I texted you a lot, <laughs> I would say maybe eighty percent of it was about the finals. I rewatched the finals eight times when I watched this movie last week. I legitimately finished the film and I rewound it. It's about 10 minutes and rewatched it over and over and over. And I could do it on repeat. I don't think I got tired of it. I think I just finally had to go somewhere. It is one of the most amazing scenes in cinematic history, in my opinion. Like it is musically performing wise speaking. It all works so perfectly for me because you have Benji, who's... Got the magic in him, baby. I, I was so in love with that troublemaker mashup of Magic, uh, by B.O.B. and then I think it's Bright Lights, Bigger City by CeeLo Green. It's awesome. It's, dude, the mashups in this movie are awesome. I, it reminds me of like watching Glee, you know, and like we would all be like, Oh, did you hear that the remix this week on Glee of the hit song? How, how they did it? It's so good. I love that Jesse is the lead. He's, you know, he's such a perfect lead. He, he's so much a better bumper. And Donald getting to rap. I love Donald's character throughout this movie. And, like, he's getting to feature and do something that he's really good at. It's great. And when Benji comes out to start singing the magic part, I legitimately got chills. I, I am... It, it speaks to what you said earlier about his character and how much we're invested in him. And how much we want that redemptive arc for him. Not really redemptive, I guess. But like we want to see him succeed and and get what he dreams of. I, I was just chills of happiness for his character. And then we get the Bellas coming out. And Becca acknowledging who they are. She says, I love you awesome nerds. Very, very memorable line. And then Amy, who... This is probably her best performance for me. I I don't know that I like her in most movies, but I really like her in this one. She gets some good stuff here. She says, even though some of you are pretty thin, you all have fat hearts and that's what matters. Which again, I'm like, dude, I am in so many, I I am in an emotional like tornado at this point. I'm so excited from the performances. I'm energized. I'm, I'm feeling it (laughs) because of Benji and now I'm feeling it because of the, The Bellas are coming out and they're about to perform as a team. We don't know, we don't know yet what they're going to be doing. And it's just, it's awesome. Their performance is wonderful. It's amazing. And I love it, man. I love that all the key players get a brief solo, speaking again to what you said earlier about like pentatonics and how like each person gets to feature. You get something unique that each person is really good at and they get to do that in that final performance. they all get to shine. I I just, I can watch it over and over. I mean, I'm I'm actually getting out of my couch and I'm fist pumping with Jesse at the end. By the time that she comes to his seat and he says, told you, endings are the best part. And she just says, you're such a weirdo and kisses him. Like I'm legitimately like, I am just jumping around my apartment and it's like, I gotta watch it again. I gotta watch it again. So it is a pretty staggeringly amazing finals performance for me. I think the music is just, Perfectly fitting for like the emotional journey that it took us on.
0: the The entire soundtrack is great, not only for the performances by all the the groups, like even those that were considered the lesser competition. I thought that even those guys were fantastic, and I love the attention that was paid to those as well to make the competitions feel competitive. You knew in your head when we got around to understanding. The rules and who goes to regional finals, who they had to beat, but it didn't feel like the other groups were less competitive. I mean, if they were less competitive, they just weren't shown because obviously there were more groups that were inferred. We only got to see a handful of them, but none of them, just like the numbers themselves, just like the, the different performances throughout the movie, none of them were throwaways. None of the groups were throwaways. They all felt legit in their own way. And I love the fact that they felt different, that each group had its own personality. I imagine this group of choreographers and writers being told, okay, you're going to represent this choreographed group. You're going to represent this acapella group. You're going to represent this group. Go write them, make up a backstory about them. And then they cast the folks, they bring them together. And then they have their own little 30 second story. And you don't get that a lot when you deal with competition. Like I, I remember thinking about some other competitive movies, um, like Bring It On, which is a hilarious movie about about uh, about cheerleaders. The only two groups you really focused on were the main group and their competition, and that was fine. But nobody else seemed to matter, even though they showed them. They were they were okay. I in my head at times was was thinking that group could legitimately win even though I've only seen like a few seconds of them, if they're half as good as what I'm seeing, absolutely. But you're right. I mean, all the performances mattered. All the performances were pretty, just amazingly choreographed and put together. The music as a whole throughout the movie was great. I love the remixes that were, you know, transition songs, the stuff that we got kind of inferred that Becca was writing. I, I loved some of those remixes. I, I think that, while this one didn't stand out as my favorite, the bus scene, right before it breaks down, before they have to hitch a ride mm-hmm. with the troublemakers, yep. Yep. was was right out of Almost Famous. It's wonderful. And it captures that same kind of connection that I remember having in that scene with, with Tiny Dancer. You're connecting by a song, by song lyrics. And that holdout for that one second where they're waiting for for Becca to drop into that chorus. And she finally does. And they all come together. Those smiles on their faces really hinted at that's what you need to be a successful group. That's what you need to be competitive is that bond, that unity, that desire to enjoy singing and dancing with each other. And I felt like it was a nod to an extent to almost famous, maybe not obviously beat for beat, but I think that it, it made that same kind of sentiment in its own way with this movie. Good stuff, man. Let's move into our connecting points. Well, of all these performances, one actually stood out enough to be my connecting point, And it was the riff off. This is the first time in the movie that I remember smiling as big as I did. It starts out on the grounds with Becca and Jesse talking and Jesse goes, yeah, I guess we'll see more at the riff off. And she goes, what the hell's a ripoff or a riff off? (laughs) And then it cuts to this empty pool. I think I I can't remember quite, but it looks like this ominous, like gang fight that's about to happen. Only it's with Uber musical nerds. And I'm already smiling because I'm like, what's going to happen. And the way the whole competition is set up, you have this guy with a, with an app or something. And he's got like a wheel of fortune thing. And if you don't know what the riff off is, it's where, You get a topic and these different groups have to go at it by coming up with different songs. I actually remember doing something similar to this on a bus ride on one of our mission trips to like San Diego, where you'd have a song that has the word butter in it or something like that. And somebody would have to come back and and start singing and then somebody else would come in. So it's a lot like that, only 10 times better because those people in the movie are more talented than us high school weirdos going down on a mission trip. The biggest thing that came out of this for me was going back to my one more takeaway, the amount of confidence that exists in our two main groups, the Bellas and the Treblemakers. It's the first time we really get to see the Bellas take hold of something like on the fly unrehearsed. And I suspend my disbelief at this point because I don't know that this actually happens. I mean, that's a lot of perfect notes and perfect singing and, perfectly coming together to do these things. But I didn't care because what was being said was we are great when we just go for it. When we don't have any kind of pressure to perform beyond just getting bragging rights and a microphone. We see the future. I put that in air quotes of what the bell has eventually become, which is a loose, enjoying, free flowing group that have a lot of spunk that came out in the finale. I think it starts here. And I think there were hints of that. I think each member of the group kind of felt that a little bit. They got a taste of it and they were like, you know what? We need more of that. And it's especially great when it's contrasted against scenes a couple of minutes later where they're rehearsing those boring songs again. And you kind of think, why in the world are you not doing this when you should be? And instead you're doing that. So it brings me as an audience member in to say, I want the Bellas to do more of this outside of that. It's just a ton of fun to see these groups just go back and forth to see the choreography, to see like these guys trying to like bow up to one another with their voices. I mean, this is like gang fight, but it's not, I mean, it's just as goofy as you can get. And then eventually even the, uh, Being dissed, you got, I think, double clap and then served or something. I can't remember what the word was. Cut off. Cut off. There we go. It's such a fantastic scene from a performance standpoint, but it also just brings out so much of what I think the Bellas need. It brings out the, the talent level of the troublemakers. They're not just there for show. They all are just constant talents here and there. And overall, it's just a fantastic scene to watch. Like, it's one that I could watch over and over again.
1: I would agree, man. It is probably, like, the defining thing that came out of Pitch Perfect. So if you ask people on the street, you seen Pitch Perfect, and they're like, yes. What do you remember the most about Pitch Perfect? The riff-off. Like, it is so cool, so fun, so happy, and just awesome with the music. It, like you said, all those things. I think that's what makes it so memorable. And it's the one thing that everybody goes back to. Another great Jesse moment, by the way, is Jesse sings, feels like the first time to Becca during the riff off. This guy, man, this guy has, has me. I I just, I, he's amazing. Amazing man. Well, Patrick, I've never, ever done this before. What are we on? Episode 174 now, I think. 175. 175. But I'm going to break the rules. Not that I've never broken the rules, but I've never broken the rules in this particular way. (laughs) Let's, let's, yeah, let's, let's clear that up right now. I have two connecting points. I wrestled with this and ultimately I just couldn't leave one of them out. That's, that's the bottom line. To me, they are both crucial to different parts of the story and they both move me very deeply. And so I got two. The first one is in relation to the main plot line of the story and the Becca and Aubrey and trying to change and evolve as a group. It's Becca's apology for changing the set without telling them when she comes back. It's a great moment. She apologizes. They don't accept her. (laughs) And she starts to walk away and drag a chair behind her. It's really hilarious. So it starts off funny and We get another great line from Aubrey that I think sets the stage for this whole thing. Aubrey says, but I am my father's daughter. And he always said, if at first you don't succeed, pack your bags. (laughs) And I'm like, again, like here we know now more about like what Audrey grew up like. And Becca says, I know my dad can get on me too. And it's like in that instance, you realize as an audience member, man, there is a moment of understanding between these two characters. They have common ground now for the first time, or the acknowledged common ground. And we continue into this sequence of getting a lot of great relational moments where characters realize where one another is coming from and how they have become the people they are right now, but it's all soaked in constant comedy. You know, um, someone coming out to the group is a joke, but it's really not her coming out to the group, you know? And we, you know, learn these things about characters that we didn't know. We, we learn that Becca admits to not having... Friends with girls, not being friends with girls. Chloe admits to removing her nodes, which is a huge thing that comes out. And they just end up having this great get-to-know-you session, man. And they're they bonding. They are bonding. And I think it changes everything. Because that's realistic. That's what happens. I always go back to this when we talk about things like this. But when I was in Chief Petty Officer Initiation in the Navy... It was an incredibly traumatic summer for me. It was really, really hard. No sleep, so much to do, way more than you could ever get done. That was part of the point. And I had to rely on these strangers that were thrown into this experience with me. We all had the passion and the desire to reach the end goal of being chief petty officers, genuines, but we didn't necessarily have any other connections to each other. And there were fights and there were struggles. But ultimately we bonded and we had enough of these get to know you sessions and we started to be able to relate to each other in ways outside of just the thing that we were going to attain or outside of just being all into acapella. And it made being a group so much more easier. It made the end goal and our, our ultimate challenges so much more meaningful to complete together because we now had this shared commitment that was beyond just the one thing that we might be doing at that moment. And so because of this scene, they now move forward and they're not competing with each other. They're competing for each other. And it's a totally different thing. And I, I just really fall for this moment. I think it is done expertly. The writing is great. Um, the delivery, the mixture of comedy in this movie with its dramatic moments is just perfect and so I absolutely couldn't help but mention this as, as something that's a highlight.
0: It's a great scene. I think it really brings the team together just in time to get ready for that final act, not only of the movie, but of the of the finals.
1: Yeah, and the finals is where my second connecting point comes. And I would wager that this is probably like potentially your number two if you were gonna choose a second one, because you texted me about it when <laughs> <I did. laughs> it happened. I did. Just like I did. And it's the wrap up or the side of the romance plot line that the plot of the connecting point that's related to that it's becca in the finals singing don't you forget about me and more than her singing it's (laughs) jesse and jesse's reaction um i guess everybody can tell by now that i have a major toner for jesse um what can i say the slow realization as she begins to sing that she gets it She understands, like, A, that she must have gone back and watched the movie, and she now is realizing what he wanted her to know, what that meant, all on her own, and that she's not just singing this as part of a performance, that she is singing to him, using something so meaningful and personal, like, to talk to him through the music and the lyrics. This is something that I personally relate to big time. I love doing that, and... His facial expressions, his amazement, his surprise. He starts looking around the room, realizing Tim's like, no one understands what this is but him. It is so directed. And then the eyes lock on her. And there is this amazingly slow grin that emerges on Skylar Aston's face. And this very slight nod of yes, as she sings, will you call my name? And then he gives the fist pump. And I get chills talking about it right now. But like when I see it, I literally am like, I'm losing it. I can't like feel it physically, right? I am like actually reacting in a bodily manner to this scene. I feel like my smile is going to break my face when this happens. It is one of the best romantic moments in a movie ever for me i adore it it is perfect their relationship is it it is the beautiful perfect accent on their relationship and what they mean to each other and a great symbolism of what i think is the start of their relationship and how they're going to approach being together going forward i just think it's it's amazing, man. It's amazing, and I love it so, so much.
0: I think if Jesse had a connecting point, it would be it would be that, and the nod would just affirm that. I think the nod is probably the greatest moment in the entire movie. It's it is, perfect. It is. It is Really is. It's perfect. Good stuff, man. And that is a wrap for this edition of Feeling Film. We are not cut off. We're just finishing this episode. <laughs> Coming at you later this week, we have a brand new FF Plus, and following that a few days later will be our thoughts on the updated classic, The Lion King. Aaron has seen it. I haven't. We'll see what happens. Also, the July votes for our donor pick are in, coming from our patrons, and we gave them a choice of five movies that centered around high school, and 10 Things I Hate About You came out the winner. So we had the pleasure of covering that later this month, along with some bonus stuff exclusively for our patrons if you want access to that bonus content or to be a part of the monthly donor pick, check out more details at patreon.com slash Aaron, thank you so much for a great conversation and we'll talk soon.
1: Hey everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you.